Welcome to the Happy Mindset, where we use the power of language and storytelling to help you find your voice. Today's episode is episode number 48, and today's episode title is Transmute Your Emotional Pain. So today I'm joined by Richie Watson. Richie is the founder of LifeWell UK. He's a life freedom teacher, a speaker, and an author. He helps people to get out of their own way by releasing emotional baggage and gaining psychological freedom. Over the years, he has developed a technique called Emotional Freedom Technique, which he uses to help his clients transform their lives from the inside out. On today's episode, Richie shares his story about how he turned the physical, psychological, and emotional challenges into opportunities for personal growth in his life. He talks about how children are more tuned into the natural, emotional, and psychological flow of life than we are as adults. He talks about a psychological debt experience he had and what, this, what psychological debt meant for him. He also talks about how animals think in movement and how this is still the base of human psychology. Today's episode, the sound quality might be a little bit different because I actually forgot to record the episode as I was talking to him. Thankfully, Richie was also doing a Facebook Live at the time, so that's the audio you're going to hear today. So I want to apologize in advance that the audio on my side isn't of the best quality. But in saying that, this is an episode that I've learned a lot uh, from Richie in talking to him about human psychology, about how we begin to integrate the instincts with the intellect. He talks a little bit about that in the podcast. So I know you're going to get a lot of value from this. There's a lot of things that Richie talks about, and he he discusses it in a lot of detail as well, which I hope you'll find helpful. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to join the Tappy Mindset community, head on over to Facebook. And if you like this episode, I'd appreciate it if you can leave a rating and a review so more people can find the guests and the information that we're sharing here in this podcast. So thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hola, my friends. So I am on podcast with a, a wonderful guy I'm getting to know right now called Dennis, and this is the Happy Mindset Podcast. Um, which I'm delighted to be on. This is going to be a really strong, strong conversation we're going to have, I can tell already. And uh, and as I'm not doing any lives right now, and I've been a bit quiet because I've been developing my Deep Change program, I thought this was a great opportunity to do something here, bring you guys into it. And if you like what you hear, the audio from the podcast is going to be available to those of you who would prefer to listen to the audio too. So um, so stick around. But uh, this is uh, this is, this is is Dennis. So please, Dennis, it's your, your show. So... Take it away. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today, Richie. Um, so I just want to begin where, where your story begins, where you are today. Mm, okay. So my, my story began with, with physical ill health when I was very, very young. So I was a baby, eight months old. I had a severe case of gastroenteritis, hospitalized. I lost eight pounds in weight. I happened to be a really big, fat baby. And this, this was this was advantageous, you know, so I, I was able to weather that storm. But my body was very, very weak. Um, and I succumbed to just every illness thereafter. You know, it's just and of course I've been heavily medicated as well. So I had a childhood that was just ravaged with ill health, you know, from early on. And illness was a huge part of my life. And sickness and pain and all these things. I mean, so some some of the biggest memories I have are, and some of the opportunities that I had which is what they actually became was at night not being able to get to sleep because I've got I used to have these chronic ear infections so I've got this, this pulsating pain that was just so intense and went all the way through my skull it was just so intense shooting and of course I'm lying on a pillow and I can't sleep and those are the challenges I was going through two three four or five years old I had 
really really bad stomach pains and the words really bad don't can't summarize this paralyzed in agony now real paralyzed in agony and these are something that were chronic they were, they were ongoing um, I got glandular fever when I was 10 years old and that then energy was was the big thing you know fatigue mental focus um, this led me eventually to being diagnosed with ME when I was 17 years old a diagnosis that I don't like um, because it really doesn't tell the story at all. Uh, in fact, when I was given the diagnosis, I was so I was so delighted to be given something because I was just getting ill all the time and having all this stuff going on. I went to school once when I was young, and because they'd spray painted the hallways over the weekend, my body reacted to that. My throat closed up. You know, these just ever present. So I had this hyperchemical sensitivity as well. You know, ever present challenges with no answer, and just finding my way through medicated hospital appointments, doctors. Off school, I was off school probably a third of the time throughout my life, you know, which was, had challenges when it comes to my education, had challenges when it comes to socialisation and development, you know, massive challenges. So these, these physical challenges became inherently emotional, psychological, social challenges. Um, so I was challenged and in, in stretched in every direction from the beginning. Um, so quickly, I'll finish what I was saying about the diagnosis. I was delighted. I was like, right, I've got something brilliant. Right, give me, tell me how you're going to fix me. You know, and it's like, oh, and especially at this time, and that, um, there was there wasn't a great deal of support back then. Um, and I realised I've given this information and sent away and signed off, so you don't have to worry about it. Going to school, college, or work at the moment. But there's nothing here for me. You know, I'm just left, and there's no solution. And this doesn't explain what I've been through. This doesn't cover it at all. This is not what's going on for me. And that's what I concluded which was very helpful for me because I, I rejected the parameters I was being told to live within. That was helpful for me psychologically. I was still trying to find my own solution. You know? um, so this physical challenge become an emotional challenge, become a psychological challenge, become a social challenges um, meant I had a very, very difficult time, but I was afforded opportunities to discover things. And it happened throughout my childhood meant that opportunity was well it was ever present that was the thing about it and I had to learn and adjust throughout my life so this wasn't like okay I've lived a life and it's been kind of comfortable and a, a normal childhood with its, with its inherent challenges anyway and then something cataclysmic happens and you've got to kind of find your way through it, it wasn't that mine was continual so and as a child when you're uh, you're more able to move with the flow of your experience of life rather than attached to, you know, you know what I mean, rather than go, right, this horrible thing's happened and put all this mental uh, labels and suffering on top of it. As a child, you're kind of moving, okay, you know, it's like when a child, a normal child's ill in the morning, they could be running, jumping, climbing trees in the afternoon, and then parents tend to say, well, you couldn't have been that ill, you know, because they've forgotten how it works. Yes, you can, you can move very swiftly if you allow yourself to, because the mind-body connection as well relating to that. So... I was in that state and I never lost touch of that moving with the flow of my experiences it unfolds. So if you start feeling better, well, that's how you feel. Like viscerally, you feel better. You're not completely better, but you feel better than you were a moment ago. So that's how you feel. You move with that, you know, and you go with it until you're running, jumping, climbing trees. And it means that your, your recovery is quite swift. That's why C tends to happen for children. Adults, less so because we, get, we form our mental attachments to the suffering. And what it means, or how long am I going to be off work, and oh my god, poor me, because I'm experiencing this. 
and you grip and you hold and you do all these things that you that actually may be counter to you recovering swiftly. As a child, you move with this elegant flow. It's kind of almost like almost you're in step with the Taoist nature of, of life in the universe, and and then you adjust. So when children learn to walk, and this is kind of the example I give, and it's a great example. It, you fall, you keep falling, you're falling, you keep getting up, you keep doing it because it's the natural impulse in us to just carry on, carry on to the walls that thing. And then you learn to walk. And right now as an adult, you could say, okay, how do you walk? And you wouldn't be able to explain it. You can't dissect it because it's experiential. You've learnt it through counterbalancing, orienting yourself, the relationship between the weight of your body and the movement of it to the gravity and to the kind of terrain that you're, you're treading upon. And all of these things you've learnt and then they become embodied, experientially embodied. And that's what happened for me. The way I traversed and overcome these challenges became experientially embodied. To the point where I was then able to live life with a certain mental approach, which was quite unique. Um, and I was all, also able to see things in ways which were quite unique. Um, and there's many, of, there's many, many things that I can, I can share about that. But the most important thing when it comes to my work... You know, I think my, the most important thing is being able to um, to not get lost in appearances when it comes to behaviour or even emotions or thoughts. And what I mean by that is that um, actually experientially understanding that I'm not this thought and I'm not this emotion, and there's 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 choice here, and also knowing that people's communication. I think this might be interesting as a kind of extension of you know your work that what people are saying something here and this person's receiving what's being said here but that person is not experiencing what that person is thinking and feeling they're translating the communication into their own thoughts and feelings and this is massive and it couldn't be bigger because what happens is we see the world and we we look at it here we're perceiving it and we have thoughts and feelings and we think our thoughts and feelings are what's happening it's like that's not what's happening that's a translation of what's happening into a story into an experience of yours that's not reality that's not the truth and certainly not when it comes to hearing what other people have to say these are things i discovered in this assault course of life that i was put through and it meant that eventually and the, the, the challenges didn't stop they really didn't stop and uh i ended up with ptsd chronic anxiety suicidal depression after when I was 19 years old, I was victim of police brutality. I just walked wrong place, wrong time, and a, a really quite horrific thing happened to me. And I was beaten unconscious with, with um, extendable riot, riot batons. There was no riot, we were just walking down the street. And when I was un drifting unconscious, I thought I was dying, so I had a psychological death experience, which lead, led to PTSD, anxiety. I couldn't leave the house, speak to friends on the phone, suicidally depressed. On the foundations of what I already discovered, as hellish and unbearable as all that was, I was able to overcome that. And that became another, that became a deepening of, oh, right, okay. And I just become more and more self-aware, more and more self-empowered, more and more embodied. I didn't necessarily know how to teach it, but I knew how to step forward and, and embody it through experience, like knowing how to walk. I was able to step forward into life in a certain way. Tragedies continued. My health was... An ongoing challenge um, so I would uh, you know I had a nervous breakdown when I was 21 years old 
complete emotional breakdown, going through the anxiety, the PTSD, the depression, but also my health. And uh, I lost, you know, my grandparents, which were, who were very dear to me. They're like another mum and dad. And I lost the relationship I was in because, you know, that just wasn't working the way everything was. I was and then I, I fell apart, 21 years old, and, you know, nervous breakdown. So I had to piece myself back together. And then I can get lost in addictions, cocaine, gambling, alcohol, because that's a, that's a far quicker route to not feeling this hell anymore. And then going through the hell of that. Of doing that <laughs> then coming to the point of I've got to use absolutely everything I've discovered my entire life to 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 free myself to live a life a life rather than continue being succumbed to the experiences of life become as free as possible become as strong as possible fortify my character and in applying everything I've learned and discovered I did that became more aware of it so it wasn't just embodied anymore there was this awareness I was cultivating then people turned up and said you know you know when you when you when you embody happiness and and the ability to to create your life into directions and when you've been through hell you know people turn up and ask you know can can you help me get out of my hell you know how how can I have some of what you've got and so then through the process of being a teacher uh, I learnt. So every person I came to, it wasn't a matter of going, right, I came now, which is the mistake a lot of people make. I know how this works, so do this. It was a matter of, look, I've, I've really found how I can make life work. And it comes from these kind of ideas. So I'm passing them on to you. You try them and see how they work for you. And then I, we both discovered from that process. And then I, so my awareness and understanding deepened and deepened and deepened. And it was just such an amazing experience. Um, to go, okay, ah, yes, that. Because people reflected things back to me I hadn't seen yet and identified. Yeah, oh, yeah, that, absolutely that. And that means this. And I got to put a teaching structure to a, a teaching, a philosophy. And that, that was a process that just became refined. I ended up, um, you know, this is a long answer to your first question, right? But it's I get, it's very important. We'll talk about perhaps my experience with my, my mother's, uh, my daughter's mother when she became unwell because that was key helping her out of um, a lot of postnatal problems over many years became key to you know what I teach now um, but the other key and, and also helped my daughter out of the problems that then became hers but one of the key was meeting a brilliant coach called David Savile um, who was at the time not necessarily a brilliant coach but his his skills were, were there underneath and for our friendship uh, what happened was he became very eager to understand and use what it is I was doing. And we went through this journey together where his incredible questions, the ability, a good coach can get under the under the skin. A good coach can really get under the knee to the core. There's no better better person I've ever met of all the brilliant people I've met than, than David Savile doing this. He will get to the very heart and he'll keep asking. And he doesn't matter how uncomfortable you're gonna be while he's asking, but he'll get there. And so what we got to with these core principles that I'd I'd embodied and we really made them visible and we started working together and it meant that um, I was able to now teach this in a way that was so usable and practically effective um, the results I've been getting now over all these years have just been absolutely fantastic and I, you know, I said to you before we started being able to you go through something you go through your hell and 
when you get through it and you've got something you've got all these things of value because you've got all these things these strengths and, and, and ideas and awareness that you didn't have before and that gives it a purpose already and to go right wow I can really step forward in life in an empowered way how unlikely and wonderful is that but then to be able to as an extension of that embody it and then share it of value for other people is it's so fulfilling it's such a blessing and it means that even the most hellish moments of my life I choose them all again to be able to have what I have now I you know, choose absolutely every unbearable hellish moment to have what I have because it's absolutely amazing there's nothing better than my hell helping give rise to other people creating their heaven you know that's you know, me first right it has to be me first thing but that's that just is the best thing and I I I chose I'd choose it if I was getting yeah, this is the option. You can get here but you have to go through this. Okay, alright, let's do it. Yeah. Which is an amazing thing because there's no there's no resistance to any of it, there's no um bad feeling, there's no lingering pain. Um it's just appreciation. And I, and that's the place I'd like to lead everyone into have an appreciation for even their most unbearable moments because recognizing what it gives you and what you can do with it now and that's you know what a gift that is that's a powerful story a lot of ways there's a lot of things that brought to me there i'd like to explore more uh, you mentioned psychological debt what does that mean to you like when you were 19 you're being beaten ah. by the police you're saying psychological debt what does that actually mean well yeah this is um and i'm not this is a term that you know I, I used to describe it because i didn't die but i was absolutely convinced in that moment i was dying you know i was being beaten you know with a metal bar um and over the head and i and i was drifting unconscious and i i was in a state of terror um which is quite indescribable. And as I'm drifting unconscious, I, this is it. I'm not waking up. So that, what I mean by psychological death, is psychologically, I was dying, as far as I was aware. And because I didn't die, wonderfully, I did wake up. I was left with the, um, I don't like the word scarring, because it isn't that way, uh, but the psychological imprint of that that death experience um, that was what led to I mean there was still anxiety present before this because of the challenge I've been through but it really created panic attacks um, and like I say PTSD which um, it means once you're triggered I mean we'll talk about triggers because it's so important when you're triggered and it can it could just just so it's so extraordinarily powerful and the rage that comes out um, is huge, it's enormous. And that emotional weight is just radiating from that point that you experience that terror. You know? And But it's unfortunately coming out in this moment when it shouldn't be. That's not what it's there for. But this is, this is part of, this is really a big a big big foundation of my work is to recognize that we humans yet the foundation problems I see is we just have properly integrated instincts and intellect you know that's that's we could talk about everything else and the surface of what people experiencing going on and what and we could point to a lot of things that are helpful 
But underneath all of this, the very foundation of our, of our predicament is we haven't integrated intellect and instinct. It, our psychology is emergent and it's not finished. And in some ways, we, we may be, I'm, I'm certainly in retrospect, and I'm certainly hopeful in, in retrospect, we will see this as an, an, uh, an early developmental stage of human consciousness. And what, what I mean by this is, should I be having rage in a disagreement with this person that psychologically taps into uh, this psychological death experience? Should that be happening? Well, no, of course not. It was for that, not for this. So why is that happening? Because of a lack of integration. You know, once this experience has been integrated properly, then that doesn't happen. And this is that this is extreme examples, but of, of daily experience, for example, because we shouldn't we shouldn't necessarily be having our heart speed up and more blood pumping to our limbs and our hindbrain changing and shifting our state of consciousness because of a disagreement with somebody. Yet that happens, and that happens because of a lack of integration of between our primal instincts and our human intellect um, and so I could take you on a brief journey of this quickly expand a little bit more on the, inst the instincts and the intellect What's the, what, what do you mean by those words when you say them? okay so so this is how so let's look at how we once responded to experience in life uh, as we were an animal version of our, our now currently evolved human self so we can look at the monkey in the forest, for example, okay? How an animal experiences things is, is viscerally and through emotion. So, in fact, our motor cortex, the motor cortex is what gave rise to the prefrontal cortex, okay? So, the motor cortex is about movement. So, animals think in movement. That's a way to look at it. They think in movement. It's present, it's visceral. It's right here. They think in movement, which is which is a hell of a thing, and I hope that could come across when I first come across this idea. It's like, wow, yes, that, you know, when if you can come into that space where, you know, you're absolutely in this moment, you feel everything more. You just feel everything more. You know, the breeze on your skin, the sounds, the colours, you feel everything more. And so animals thinking in movement and experiencing moment by moment and responding to life through perception, their nervous system, emotion and action okay so they don't have human intellect and imagination they don't have that so that's how we existed that's here still part of our the foundation of our psychology and this is the important thing still the foundation of our psychology is we perceive and perception isn't eyes it's everything it's feel sense it's, it's intricate it's a combination of all of our macro senses and then all of the micro senses and then our nervous system responds to the perception. It gives emotional, it translates what's being perceived into emotion. And then from that emotion brings us alertness, awareness, and we go into action. So that's how animals respond, and that's how we would respond, and it's also how we still respond. So if an animal is walking along in the forest and suddenly hears a sound, a rustling, that sound could be predatorial. This is really important what we will do and what animals do is they're going to gravitate more to maybe something's out to get them because that's what keeps you surviving that's that's so they're more predisposed towards something negative happening okay so rustling might be present stop 
and now you're on a high alert, you're an embodied high alert state, and you're looking for the thing that could be out to get you. And then there's a movement over here, and it's a, a blur of what we would describe as orange and black, so maybe that's a tiger. So it's time to act. Run up that tree. Yeah. And everything takes over, boom, up the tree. Now you look out, and then you discern from the tree that there's nothing there, it was something else, some leaves, whatever, some wind, wasn't anything. The feeling and the action have served its purpose. That's now settled and you go down the tree and get on with your day. Okay, so that's how they would experience a scenario. Now, here's one thing. It's okay to run away from something that isn't there. It's not okay for st to stick around for something that is. Because that's how you get killed by a predator. So, within our, within our psyche, within the matrices of our emotions and our psychology, is to become on high alert and to, to, to see what could be of a threat to you and respond to it, okay? And you're going to do that a lot more than you are reacting to the good things, like the honey. Because, okay, if the honey's there, fantastic, but if it's not there, it's not going to kill you. Not yet. It's a slower process. You need awareness over that, but you don't need such gravity, okay? So what we've just had there is an animal basically perceive um, a fictional danger and, and react to it as if it's real to survive. So that's our primal instincts. Put atop of that human imagination. So now we've got perception, nervous system, translated into emotion, alertness, action, imagination. So that tiger, that tiger that wasn't there isn't going away when imagination gets involved. Like, I know it's here. It's definitely here. It's around somewhere. And how that shows up for us in everyday life is someone saying something. And us seeing it as the worst possible thing it can be in relationship to us. And imagining they're saying that because they're thinking that. And they don't like me because of this. And us driving ourselves nuts with mythical scenarios that that are that have to be inaccurate because you can't think and feel other people's thoughts and feelings, but are most often not what's going on. And unstitching myself from that that mire and that delusion was huge. Myself realizing, oh my god, I'm I'm thinking that my thoughts are reality. <laughs> That's crazy. Of course they're not. But working with people to unstitch those is just the things you discover, especially in relationships, the things that people have created within themselves that are not true. But because of an, an unintegrated marriage of instincts and intellect, we are being triggered emotionally through our perception, through our nervous system, and, and that which was in, is embodied within that matrix is are things we learned in our early childhood. Okay, So if a six-month-old baby is sitting on the floor, moves its hand and knocks over a drink, and then the parent jumps up in alert because this drink is being spilled, that child doesn't understand anything other than the guardian here, the parent, the person you look to, to are you safe or not, How to we, what to learn from the environment. He's jumping up and freaking out. So they're putting fight or flight, there's something wrong, and then the neurology goes, right, learn what this is, and it learns the scenario. The scenarios you've you've got to drink over, so you've now got an emotional trigger that's basis is fight or flight, is survival, connected to spilling a drink. 
And then you become the crazy parent at age 30 that jumps up when their kid spills a drink. And we think, and then the mind goes, oh, because it's going to stain, right? So, and then, and that, that feels real, but it's not. That's not why. That's not why that trigger. That's not why. All emotional triggers come back to a survival instinct. And then our mind makes sense of them. And we live in that as reality. So that's what I mean by the difference between in instinct and intellect and also the lack of integration between. And it's a big Probably subject. Start. Start mm. Okay, so... Where Freud's work made such impact is in psychoanalysis and identifying the relationship between experiences in childhood and the neurosis and our psychology of adulthood. Now, there's been, as I see it, a kind of misadventure. And that misadventure has been from wanting to create emotional release, which is what Freud wanted to do. That was the point. You go back into the memory so you can then create emotional release. You transmute the emotions that exist relating to them. Okay? Because emotion, emotion is how we're living life. It's like the emotion that's overwhelming you. A thought is passive. You know, a thought is pass passive until it's given emotional charge. So if we create emotional freedom, you create psychological freedom, you create life freedom, you create you, awareness, you're able to respond to life in a completely different way, responsive instead of reactive. So then what, what the intention with Freud's work was to create this emotional release. Now what's happened over time is because we are conceptual creatures and we have become more and more lost in the conceptual, come away from the visceral experience of life, like animals thinking in movement and feelings being viscerally like this. We've come away and we've labelled and conceptualised everything. Now, I have a, a unique insight into this because um, because the nature of my I, the, my best guess is the nature of my experience um, and and finding forms of meditation when I was very young. I mean, I can remember things at unlikely early age, and I can remember experiencing life through visceral emotion rather than mental labels. And so I can remember, and, and it's something I actually still can tap into. It's wonderful. So when a baby crawling on the floor sees the colour red, they don't see, they don't think the colour red. They feel an emotional response to the shades and colour of that. And then they start to identify the difference between those emotional feelings. When they're crawling along the floor and they're feeling the feel of the carpet, there's, all they're in is the, the feeling, the sensory experience. And they get an emotional translation from it. And it feels good, this is discovery and it feels like this. And it has a signature to it. A mother's face has a signature to it of, of emotion. A father's face has a signature of emotion. And that's why kids are so entertained by life. Because they're just in this emotional exploration of how everything feels. Then what happens is we come along and go, right, red, carpet, mum, dad. And we give labels, which we need to, of course. We need to develop language and labels. This is the interesting thing. But the misstep of that which we need to integrate better, is that we disappear into the conceptual and we're no longer connected with the, our feeling experience of life in the same way. And so part of this journey, so coming back to, to Freud's work, what's become lost is, is uh, psychological intervention has become about the story, it's become about the conceptual, it's become story obsessed. We are story obsessed. We are thought obsessed because that's where we've drifted into experiencing life most. And 
Bad emotions feel bad, so we don't want to feel them. So we're, we're lot more likely to go into story here, distractions, addictions, all sorts of things, rather than feel the emotions we're feeling because they're uncomfortable and difficult. The problem with that is we need to feel uncomfortable and difficult emotions to create transmutation, to create freedom within ourselves. So we've kind of gone on this misadventure. We've gone far too into conceptual interventions. So an example of this would to take for a journey of this is if you're experiencing something, a pattern throughout your life, and it's because of these embedded emotional triggered responses, something's happened, you're emotionally triggered, your mind then comes online and creates a story out of thought saying what that is, and then we mistake the story for reality, and then when things are terrible and difficult and we ask for help, the people that come along and say they're going to help say, okay, tell me about the story, and they intervene on that level. So that's what's happening most of the time with most things. What we need to do, in my view, in the work I've been doing, and the experience I had personally to overcome all of these horrible things, and that means going from not being able to speak to people on a phone to be able to stand on stage in front of hundreds of people and do the work I do, means me developing what I call the feeling focus techniques, FFT. And that's finding ways to become, to go deeper into the heart of how you feel emotionally. Not just bad, good, everything. Coming into that visceral experience of life more. And so when, you know, I, I can give you, I'll give you a, a wonderful example um, in a very short story. A young mother struggling with, with being a young mother and a three-year-old son and uh, breaking down. She's just breaking down. She can't cope anymore. And I say, okay, tell me one thing is that's causing you stress and overwhelm. And she got this wonderful example. She said, okay, well, I try and, I've got somewhere to go. I've got to be there at a certain time, and he won't put his coat on, he won't get ready to go, it's cold outside, and I need him to put his coat on, he won't do it. And no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, he won't put it on. I end up having to shout at him, I get angry, he cries, I you know, force him out, coat on and everything, it's just a horrible scenario, afterwards I feel terrible about it. So she's in this cycle of responding to an emotional trigger, acting in a way she doesn't like, feeling terrible about herself, breaking herself down, that radiating into every other part of her life. It's not like that one scenario is the cause, but there's a load of scenarios like that playing out like that. So I say, okay, this is what you do now. This is your mission. First of all, I like to, I like to do this, take away the blame game. What you're experiencing in that moment when your son won't go out, what you're experiencing, that frustration you're feeling, isn't exclusively about the moment. It's not even mostly about that moment. It's an echo of the emotion you felt when you were treated with frustration. That's what's coming up. Because that was what, in, what was embedded when you were the young three-year-old causing frustration. And then it was emotionally scary. That was what was embedded. So you're feeling an echo from your pain. And then, so then your psychology shifts. And where does it shift to? It shifts into a state you were in when you were three years old, trying to, trying to deal with life. And then you're trying to parent through that. You're trying to parent through the psychology of a child, uh, you know, the state of consciousness of a child, in a really difficult, painful scenario. Don't do it. Don't try and do it. That's my first bit of advice. Don't do that. Instead, you have to now see these emotional triggers as your cue to stop. Do not act. And it's, then it's a very powerful, persuasive mechanism because it's about survival, those triggers. So you want to act quickly. And then the thing you do makes things worse. It causes this pain you don't want to cause. Causes the problem you don't want to happen. Uh, you know, I often say, if you want to be late for everything, rush your children. 
So instead of that, it's your cue now to stop and sit back and just stop. Do nothing, say nothing, and you be with that feeling. And it's going to be tough because you spent your whole life getting away from being with that feeling and going into distractions, actions, addiction. Be with it. Now, it doesn't come necessarily quickly. It can. It doesn't necessarily come quickly. And then there came that wonderful day when I had a session with her. And she said, I did it. And I was like, okay, what did you do? I did, I did the thing. I did the thing. Okay, well, tell me. Tell me what happened. So she was in that scenario, that exact scenario. Needs to go one for his car. And she felt the frustration come. And I said, okay, what did you do next year? I did nothing. How did that feel? She said, it felt awful. <laughs> but she carried on. She carried on. And at some point of just being there, doing nothing, being with a feeling, this space suddenly happened. Because a transmutation was happening. A feeling into and through allowed the mind and the body to go, maybe this isn't a survival situation right now. And this space happens, this openness, and suddenly we're alive to something new. It's like a cool jumping script. It's like a pattern shift is emerging. And then she found herself saying, from this space of freedom, this is the important thing, come to a space of deeper freedom first. From this space of freedom, she said, that's okay. If you don't want to put your coat on, you don't have to. Let's go. Problem solved. <laughs> Problem solved. Not only that, Dennis. They get out the door. He takes like one or two steps and says, Mum, I'm cold. Can I have my coat? <laughs> and, and so... And this is so huge because from her state of consciousness and her state of struggle, she couldn't see the simple solution. She couldn't anticipate from where she was. She had to experience into something different. And then the solution just, there it is. There's a bigger solution than she could have anticipated. So that's, you know, this is really a lot, a lot, a big core of what I'm talking about. It's, it's, you create a transmutation of emotion from going into the heart of the feeling of feeling. And the triggers, your biggest triggers are your greatest access points. And then not only does your do your your state of being change, your emotional state of being change, your psychological state of being, but your what you see changes, and what happens changes. And most of the time, most people are they're struggling from the state they're in to try and solve the problem. And whatever state you create from, you create like. It's a really important thing to understand. Whatever state you create from, you create like. So you're just creating more of the problem in some form, and it's going to reflect it back to you. So simple way of putting that is if you create from anger, the people around you are probably going to reflect that anger back to you in the way that you are reacting. But that works for everything all the way down to the softer, subtler, less visible emotions and actions. So if you can come into a deeper place of freedom, life changes just like that. The difficult work is being able to have the courage and character to orient yourself into the heart of your pain and, and an emotional challenge rather than throw it out into the world or run away from it. That's that's the challenge. But it's it's a challenge worth so worth committing yourself to. And and this is Jung to you know bring Jung into this. He I think paraphrased a um, a Latin expression I believe and it was something like um, that which you most need to find will be found where you least want to look. So it's like that. And while most, and there's so much in the self-development world out there going, you don't need to feel bad, come and listen to this. Oh, it's everybody else. It's toxic people. It's narcissists. It's gaslighters. Just come and do this. 
um, which is leading people into their cycles and struggles for years upon years and decade after decade. The truth of it is we need to go. And there's all this, oh, change your thoughts, change your life, <laughs> let it go. It's like, no, 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 no. Limited results often making the problem last longer, often leading you on a path which is in the opposite direction of where you want to go. We need to orient ourselves into the heart of our emotion. Not all of the time, but it's an integral part of the work. Um, and create this freedom like I'm explaining. It, it freed me from PTSD. It freed me from suicidal depression. It freed me from anxiety to the point I couldn't speak to people on the phone. It freed me to be able to create life into whatever direction I choose. To help others into that freedom. To step onto stages with hundreds of people. To facilitate retreats. Create world class seminars. All of it comes from the deep willingness to feel and experience what I'm feeling and experiencing. And transmutating my relationship with those feelings relating to whatever's going on. Huge. There's more to the story, but that's that's where we start, as I believe. I believe we start there. That's good. How about helping your wife? How did that help you mm. in your journey? So this this um so I was already teaching and uh <laughs> Feeling like I was, you know, feeling like oh, I've really, I've really got the keys to this thing now. You know, I've got this sus. It's working for me. It's working for other people. Great. And then uh, I became a dad. I was 30 years old now, and um, we'd had a great pregnancy. You know, we'd we'd come together and bonded in a, a beautiful way. And she had challenges before. They became evident in our early relationship. Um, some real difficulties and some family problems, which were quite really really difficult there's some abusiveness and things going on there so there's things we were working through and I was instead of responding to behavior I was seeing through the behavior into the heart of the person I was doing that as my one, my default way of experiencing life which is a wonderful thing it's so beautiful because you're not taking things personally anymore in that in the same way um, and instead of mistaking something someone says or the demeanor and turning it into an you know, it's like I say, we, we create histamine characters out of people. You know, people go into a shop and someone's rude to them. That's Miss Rude. You know, it's like... But, and then we do it because we, we need to label and categorise. What is this in relationship to me? Well, she's Miss Rude. But wow, there's an infancy within that person. And something's happened in their day, week or life which has led them to being that way in the moment. You just happen to be there. That's what's happened. It's not about you. And, and maybe... And I say maybe, but I say definitely, actually. If you knew what it was that's giving rise to the pain they're expressing right now, you'd have all the compassion you need to forgive them and understand. And I can say that with absolute confidence having worked with so many people. Because the people that are the most troubled and have been through the most, the deeper the hostility, the deeper the pain. You know, all of these things are at play. And, you know, my, my daughter's mother helped me understand this, you know, in another excruciatingly painful gift that life gave me and she gave us she became very very unwell after she became a mother and this is why I how I started to understand how this works she became a mother and it was like a an open door a door was open between her and her childhood you know because in being a mother to a child it opened a door that existed that that held is like a Pandora's box of the pain she experienced as a child to a mother and she was 23 
and all this could come avalanching out of her and she couldn't deal with it. I didn't understand what was happening at that time, not, not fully. So we dealt with that as best we could and it took years and I was confused as to what was happening for her. Um, nothing I did or was could help or make anything better. I, I mastered my, my own calm and non-responsiveness um, in a very deep way because if I added anything to the fire it would just create terrible problems. So you know, I want to say she was very unwell, she was very unwell and deluded and experiencing things that were devastatingly difficult to bear witness to and sometimes it was falling apart emotionally in these huge ways, huge ways and uh, sometimes it was enormous amounts of anger um, but a lot of it was built on delusional experience, things she, she was fallen into uh, deep paranoia about those closest to her and of course me being the closest to her too that was I was became the brunt of a lot of this but we had this daughter and I had to so I had to embody a certain space and do my best and I did my best but it didn't solve anything doing your best is a wonderful thing and I was strong enough and aware enough to do my best but I try and help and I try and help anchor her to the ideas that I had discovered and was teaching other people and help bring her to the ground with those and none of that worked so I thought I had the key to everything and I didn't and it didn't work and then one night I was um, devastated by it all you know my daughter was suffering my partner was suffering um, it was uh, it was hell it was a, of all the things I've been through and they're terrible this was the the most difficult thing I've ever been through and it was years of this and uh, and I went to sleep and, and uh, you know my, my my mind gave me this wonderful gift of a dream and the dream was when my when my partner was in this state and having these episodes her eyes she became physically different and her eyes became hollow and I realized it was a kind of terror that was in her eyes and in this dream, my daughter was just laying in bed and I looked to her face and she'd taken on those eyes. Suddenly the light of the, that children have in their eyes had gone. She had this, this hollowness and this pain. And my heart broke in the dream. And then there was this baby laying next to her and I picked this baby up. And I walked off to care for this baby and I walked away from my daughter to care for this baby. And I was so, I, you know, this was the closest I've ever had to a nightmare. As an adult, I woke up and I was just like, I just felt horrible. About, you know, what? Because it was such a deep dream, it was so lucid. What's going on there? What have I done? I've walked away from my daughter and I've gone to care for this other baby. And within this kind of confusion and, and real like, emotional pain, this insight came, which was Donna was the baby. She's my partner. Donna was the baby. And I recognise that no matter what happens for my daughter in the future, I'm going to be there for her and love her unconditionally. No matter what happens. Of course, because I'm a dad, but also because I've seen what's given rise to the problem. I've seen what she's had to endure, the, the, the turbulence of her environment, and how scared that's made her. So I can understand that. And it's not her fault. She didn't choose that. So it's not her fault, the pain that she's going to then express into the world. So I'm going to be there, no matter what. And then realising the same is true of, of, my, of my partner, of my wife. The same is true of her. There's no difference. 
The only difference is this. I wasn't around for her pain. I wasn't around for what caused it. That's the only difference. And I felt this love. And it was so deep. And now I had something I could do that was different. I could love her and care for her. And that become my focus. And it was all I wanted to do when I connected with this feeling and this, this awareness. It's all I wanted to do was just love her. Um, and I woke up with that kind of in my soul. And it was tested early. So that day, she falls into an episode. My daughter's downstairs. We're upstairs in the bathroom. And this hostility is coming at me. And the, the eyes are gone. And, it's... and suddenly, it was as if it all went a bit silent. This anger and this aggression was coming at me. But I didn't. It just wasn't, it just passed by me. And I could see that innocent baby. And I could see beyond the hostility into the pain that's given rise to it. And so I saw this innocent, innocent child, this pain being projected in the hostility. And I just felt this love. I'm getting shouted at. And the appearances of this extremely difficult person you know but what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling is love and compassion for what's beneath it and then these words fell out of my mouth I said I'm so sorry you're feeling this way I love you what can I do to help and that I thought I'd, I thought I'd done everything I could do but I'd never done that I never embodied love and then it speak. And uh, that was the beginning of a big change. It was such a profound experience. Like, I'd never felt anything like it, but she never had to, but it terrified her. because it was, it was outside of her script of life, the patterns of her life, her psychology to be on some level comfortable with. And um, she burst into tears, pushed past me, ran outside and had a breakdown. Because she was loved she was loved that deeply in that moment it was that big and terrifying and that was the beginning it wasn't the end it was the beginning of me being able to connect with her embodying love in this way and being able to then go on this journey together of understanding what was happening for her where before I had no understanding it was like wow the things I learned like on a very regular basis when she'd go into an episode I'd go to close the door the room we were in so our daughter wouldn't hear she would then very aggressively shove past me open the door go out and, and all of that emotion was expressed into our home environment you know and our daughter would become aware of something and become scared and I found that really difficult to understand I found it really difficult why can't you just keep it in here away from our daughter I found it really really hard and there was resentment about it but now in this new space this new journey we're in she went into an episode one day and I went to go and close the door and then I stopped and I turned to her and I said when this happens and I go and close the door what is it you're experiencing what is it you're feeling and suddenly the spell broke and that disappearing of the eyes went and she was there for a moment but very sad and emotional and she said I feel like you're trapping me in 
but to not go into details, she would have been trapped in a room in her childhood and let some very nice things happen. A lot of violence. So that trigger was happening with me. She didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. She didn't feel or think my thoughts. She didn't think I'm doing this to protect Amelie, our daughter. She just saw something terrible, fearful, and she had to escape. And a survival impulse overtook her. She pushed Marshall to come out. And, I, and then I'd resent her for that because, like, why the hell are you doing that? And then I understood it. So it's like embodying love and then curiosity and then understanding, wow, man. Then you just see the core of this human being, something else, and this behaviour and this, this hostility and all of that on top of it is all about misunderstanding. Psych her own psychological misunderstanding. Her own lack of integration between these embodied, terrible emotional triggers and trying to make sense of the world. And then trying to make sense of me and scenarios and things. And then me trying to make sense of all of that. You get underneath that. You get underneath that. You can make sense of it. And that was the journey we took together. And then, you know, we, she became more and more trusting of me. And then I was able to help lead her out of that very dark place. Um, not the end of a story. And the complicated things happen like in all relationships. But something extraordinary happened with that journey we took together. And then I became the best teacher I could have possibly ever hoped to be. Um, and a lot of the work I do is built upon that experience. You know, massively upgraded my own understanding of everything a thousandfold. You know. Because what she was experiencing in extreme ways, we're all experiencing in lesser ways, all of the time, you know, feelings are a maybe, thoughts are suggestions, we're experiencing feelings as certainties, and thoughts as reality, yeah. yeah it's, it's a very powerful story, and it's a, you can definitely get a sense of, you can't conceptualize your way out of that, through that, you just saw how profound and how simple it was, what actually worked, the understanding was what was the key thing there. And if you try to conceptually try and figure that out, you get lost forever, I would, I would think. You will. I was, uh, as far as I was concerned, and this is actually the, the subject and theme of the book I'm writing, I was doing everything I could do. And I was doing my absolute best. But there was actually a place that was beyond my best that I just couldn't, I couldn't conceptually find. And I had to, I had to step into a new state of being which I'd been doing for myself for so many different things, but I'd reached the limits of it. No, I wasn't doing it for this. I was just trying to do my best, manage, calm, boom, 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 boom. And it was helpful. I became very strong in lots of ways. But I, there, was a, there was a limit here that I'd reached. I had nothing left for it. And I had to completely step into a new experience of life. I had to break my own script. And I did it that day in that bathroom, through that understanding from that dream, then in my action that day in the bathroom and this is what I say to people endlessly because what the mind often does when we've experienced difficulties and then someone comes along and goes well I think I have a solution here the mind goes no reject that can't be right you've tried everything you've done your best you know that's not going to work almost as if it trivialises the pain the, the, the challenges it doesn't but if we can come to a place of curiosity of I'm going to try this on, see what happens, you know, we start to break free 
from the trappings of the mind that basically is trying to keep you, no matter what, it's trying to keep you within experiences you've already had. Because you're still alive. And, and, the, and the mind knows, the psyche knows, if you're still alive, that means keep doing everything you've already done. Don't do this new thing, because that's the unknown, and the unknown can kill you. So that's the great challenge I've got with a lot of people a lot of the time. It's trying to get them to take that step. I call it an invisible membrane. And it's around your story of life. And But where you want to go exists just on the other side of that. Problem is, when you get to the, the edges of the inside of the membrane, you feel an emotional trigger. The emotional trigger is the fear of the unknown. The mind goes, don't go there, and give you some brilliant reasons. Oh, it's this, it's that, it's that, boom, it can't be this, you're this, boom, 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 boom. And then we go, yeah, that's true. No, it's an emotional trigger about you getting to the edges of where you need to step beyond to get the freedom and the life you want. And this is the work. I mean, right now I'm you know, creating this deep change program and I've got a group of people who all have their own invisible membranes. And it's um, now about working to get them to step out. And the wonderful thing is it's a step. It's one step from where they've already, they keep on going to and then playing out their cycle in some form. It's one step. It's once you take that step, your life changes forever you will then experientially embody a, a new mode of being different dna switches on in your nervous system to support this new human being you get to do and it's one step beyond anything you've ever done just one yeah you just keep going that one step everything changes man what are some of the core principles you talked about in behind your work well the 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 tools the underlying tools i use for for transformation because there's life leadership and strategy and creating projects and things that's all the top um, the feeling focused techniques are ways for us to lead ourselves into the heart of the emotions we need to in order to create the transmutation we need and there's there's methods I use in which to do this with the big emotions um, and they're forms of meditation, uh, they're forms of uh, using verbalization, because when you when you speak you make emotion manifest and you make thought manifest and it gets bigger, it's why you, your voice trembles when you start trying to speak when you're emotionally charged, it brings it up bigger, the emotion gets bigger, so I use a verbalization technique to, to get us into the heart of emotion and then get underneath it to what's underneath it and it create this transmutation. And what I call micro-trigger repatterning, which is a way to use the smaller, lesser triggers like procrastination as ways to... Because underneath all of our bigger triggers are all these infinite number of smaller, lesser ones that, that we just... Um, you know, I'll give you one of my favourite examples is, um, you know, you're walking, walking past the tissue on the floor and thinking, it's okay, I'll pick it up later rather than picking it up while it's by your feet and you're walking past it. And this is something that happens for people. Some version of this. You know, I'll make my bed later. You know, I'll open that letter later. You know, there's all these procrastination points. And the, an incredible thing happens is when I encourage people to, to orient themselves towards doing those things in the moment, they realise how big the emotion they're avoiding is and what it's connected to. And it seems like a, such a small thing. But what we're doing is when we walk past that tissue, we're avoiding a feeling, we're avoiding an emotion of doing something in the moment. We're avoiding it because maybe we feel like we get things wrong or we're failures and we're not going to be able to do an accomplished thing. And even doing this tiny thing, we've got a little, mm, don't do it, just don't. Instead, we'll 
manage that feeling and drag it around a bit to a point where we come to and we're happy to do it. And that's what procrastination, how procrastination plays out. Seems like a small thing. But when we get underneath that into the heart of it and actually go towards it, we realise it's connected to these huge emotions that are about how we experience life and how we how we are experiencing ourselves. So one of the fundamental and certainly with emotional psychological transformation work, it's about using the FFT, the feeling focus techniques, um, to create that transmutation because where I think Freud's amazing work has deviated to by going into the conceptual too much, I think we understand now a little bit more and we can understand it's about getting into the heart of the emotion and create that transmutation. You don't need to drag yourself back into memories of the past because your emotional relationship to life is turning up for you every single day. You don't have to look anywhere. What you have to do is know what to do with the emotional trigger when it comes up and then you can create that transmutation because the emotional trigger got in there in a present moment experience. Your access point is right here, what life's showing you in your relationship to it. That's your access point. And we are compulsively avoiding that because it feels uncomfortable. It's like we've fallen into the delusion that a bad feeling is a bad thing. And bad feelings aren't bad things. Bad feelings are wonderful things. They're information, they're awareness. They're working for us. Our bad feelings are working for us. All, every emotion, all of it's working for us. Just our relationship to it is the thing that's gone wrong. You know, it's just like if I put my hand in fire, I feel physical pain. That's of service to me. Get your hand out that fire. I need to feel that physical pain. Emotional pain is exactly the same. So the pain is there to be of service to you. But we're avoiding it. We're going around it. And we're getting lost in the conceptual. And we're getting into ideological self-help nonsense. Which is, you know, it's not done deliberately, it's done innocently, I think, most of the time. But people are in their own state of avoiding how they feel about life and then teaching other people to do it. <laughs> it's like, and it's management. It's management of problems. It's not freedom. It's not transformation. It's not development. Not in the real sense. So this is fundamental. And then we, we want to become psychologically aware. So there's emotional freedom. We want to become psychologically aware. We want to dissect the nature of perception that we experience as a, as a collective, as a human being experiencing the world, and we want to understand our own nature of our perception. We want to realise that that's what it is. We're experiencing our perception of life and not life. We're experiencing our perception of somebody else and not them. We're experiencing our perception of what they did, said, not what they did or said. Really get into the heart of our relationship, using the FFT techniques when we need to, but cultivating our awareness as well. And if we come from those two directions, and we... we and again, because a lot of self-help work is reductionist, it kind of focuses on one thing, because that's what we do. We go, ah, this is it. This is the thing. There's things that are right and things that are wrong. So you've got all these people out there saying, you know, emotions are created from thoughts. So thoughts is your entry point, And it's so unbelievably stupid. You know, that's a part of the story, but it's a, it's a smaller part than the emotion. I mean, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. And there's a whole community of teachers teaching this stuff and leading people, you know, around in circles because it's not true as I explained to you earlier we have perception nervous system translated into emotion and then alertness action we have human imaginations on top of that the intellect developed on top of that and the response sequence is the sequence of how it evolved of how we evolved it's that sequence so developmentally and experientially day to day our response sequence to life is the sequence of which these things evolved so it's perception nervous system emotion 
thought. That's why the ultimate entry point is our emotions. The intervention point is not the nature of our thought. Thought is a feedback loop now, and thought can summon emotions. Of course it can. But for the vast majority of the day, and if we we look at the science of this, 95% of the day perhaps, we are governed by the invisible forces, which are our perception, nervous system, emotion up towards intellect. So we're feeling things, and then we're creating stories about them. Then we might get less lost in the stories about them, make ourselves feel worse, and we're in this cycle. We've got to escape that cycle. Um, these are the techniques I've I've discerned. So, which I can't teach obviously in a brief podcast, but what I can say is absolutely get yourself more willing to feel what you feel. There's the simple take home. Be more willing to feel what you feel. And counterbalance being willing to feel bad things with actually bringing yourself into experiences which elevate you and feel good, but really be with them. Really be with them, you know. Start to taste life again in a deeper way. And that's the kind of direction we need to go in. Sounds good. Great message. So where do you guys find, find you online? What's that, man? Where would you guys find you? Okay, so website, richiewatson.uk. That's Richie without an E, R-I-C-H-I, watson.uk. It's without an E because I think it's cooler. And it's easier to Google. Um, and I am becoming, well, right now, I'm kind of, because um, I'm developing the Deep Change program I'm running at the moment, uh, which everyone can look at on my website, a six-month journey, two retreats, ongoing mentorship, group coaching. It's a bespoke journey between the, the, the eight, six to eight people I'm going to have on that journey, um, you know, to create real meaningful change and transformation inside and around that's that's the journey um and while i'm doing that hand in hand with that work and writing my books i'm developing a lot of video series at the moment uh which are focused mainly in the themes of myth dispelling in self-help work really helping get people unstuck from the cycles of self-help struggle that they're in because of these usually because of things that are partially true being made into being absolutely true you know, that's usually what's happened. I made a few video series, and they'll be on mainly Facebook. I like Facebook as a medium, of my social medias. Um, and my Facebook page, again, Richie Watson, Richie without an E, uh, you get to my Facebook page. And uh, there's going to be, going forward in the coming weeks, probably two videos a week coming there, two or three minute videos, where I dissect one thing at a time, and hopefully help. It's what I'm doing, as well as working with the people investing in their time with me. It's like, okay, well, how can I, what can I do to be helpful that's, that's for people that, uh, you know, I can reach as many people as possible. And it's these, these brief videos. So, um, yeah, I'd love if anyone's been uh, interested in, or feels the pull towards what I've been saying, connect with me there and, uh, and take a look. Perfect, sounds very good. Are you writing a book at the moment too? Yeah, so I'm writing two books by, side by side. One is, it's almost biographical, it's the story. And there's, so it's, over the years I've told as many stories as I can that have revealed my lessons to me. And so what I'm doing is I'm collecting those stories together, taking on people on a journey. And I'm really, I'm so encouraged by it. It's, it's what's happening while I'm writing it is that I'm able to be going deeper into the teachings that I've been teaching and also discover things that, ah, a little missing link here. Of course, that. And so that's that's what right now I'm writing my book, but also the teaching I'm going to do in my groups is just 
exponential you know it's wonderful so it's a wonderful journey but I'm not I've got a companion book that I'll be releasing afterwards that will then be the deep teachings the principles behind this book is a revealing the lessons as they were revealed to me which is a deep which is you know Dennis with great humility I've had I've had people rock up to a 45 minute talk and their life change I had one woman come off a an absolute sack full of, of pharmaceuticals after coming to a 45 minute talk and it clicking into place for her you know and these are the stories that are going to be in this this book um and that's as unlikely as that sounds it's a it's incredible this is true these are this is what happens when i come along i write this this is how we're experiencing life now and you're not no longer stuck in it you're aware of it and then the companion book will be a deep teaching book and uh yeah i'm, I'm having a great time right i'm having a fantastic year because my year is writing and doing the work with an intimate group of people um, and this course i'll be running beginning of july so, um i have the best life man i've have a good time. No, so the, no, cheers for, for sharing your lessons. Like I liked um, the way you brought in evolutionary psychology as well today, and really gave some detail and combined it with your own story. And because I do believe the transformation is very unique to the person, there's principles that can apply to different people. But it's a unique journey to go on, and you need to, like you were saying, uh, get more into the heart and get beyond the stories that are going through our head of what we're seeing in the world. Well, thank you so much, Van Mena, and I'm fascinated by your story, and uh, I look forward to your book as well, because you know what journey you've been on as well. Thanks, man. Cool. So, uh, yeah, thanks again, Richie, and, uh, and so until next time, have fun and enjoy the process. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. I hope this video has been of service.